today, we think about the other adult places, one of the darkest places that each and every one of us has is our past. You know, we can look back at some point in our life and we can see something that we've done that we wish we hadn't have done that has created great questions or great shame and guilt in our life. Even if it hasn't been widely known, the things that we've done, it's this secret dark place that keeps drawing us back to this, this prison, if you will, that keeps us from experiencing God's love, uh, walking in our freedom, and, and just rejoicing in what we want to come It's kind of like this anchor or this backpack that's just full of rocks that just weigh us down on our journey. And so when we read passages of Scripture that talk about forgiveness and God setting us free and being able to have new life in Christ and being filled with joy, it's almost a disconnected experience for some of us because we have this little dark secret in our life. And today I want to help you uh, find some better ways to process your, uh, your past because truth is there's some very unhealthy ways to process our past. And so today I want to give you six reasons or six healthy ways for you to process your past. And they're all found from the account of the Apostle Peter, who was one of Jesus' disciples, um, and followed Jesus for three years as a disciple. And he was the bold one in the group, right? He was like the first one to get it as Jesus is the Messiah. You know, he was always making these bold declarations like, I'm going to go to the end. You know, with you, I'm never going to deny you, I love you. It is crazy, ridiculous, sacrificial love that, that I see in you, God, I love you that same way. And he's making these bold promises. And Peter finds himself doing the unthinkable. Right? Jesus tells Peter in the afternoon, he's like, listen, you're telling me that, that you're going to follow me to the end. I'm telling you that before the end of tonight, you are going to deny me. You're going to reject me, Peter. You're going to, you're going to fail me miserably, and you're not going to live up to your promise at all. And I promise you, you're going to do that. He's like, no way, Jesus. I'm not doing that at all. Maybe these other guys, but it's not me. You can tell me. And we, we know that he did deny Jesus. And then we pick up here a little later in the story. You know, Jesus is risen from the dead. Peter saw the crucifixion, everything that went down. So then Jesus is risen from the dead. And Jesus has appeared to him two other times. And Peter is strangely silent in those two encounters. And now we're coming up on the third encounter with the resurrected Christ, and Peter gets confronted with his past. The first thing that we learn from his journey, the first healthy way uh, for us to process our past, is not to try to dwell in Not to try to dwell in For a lot of us, we live in our past. You know, we, we, it's that when that memory comes back up, it's really easy for us to gravitate into those, those feelings and to wallow in it. And I believe Peter took that same way. You know, you see Jesus face to face, you come into a full realization of everything that he taught at the Last Supper that Jesus was going to be the substitute, the sacrifice, the sins of the world, that God is going to, you know, clean him. You know, in a way that Peter could not do for himself. And then Jesus is alive, which means I'm going to look him in the face now. And he's got all of this stuff going on between him and the Lord. And he does what any of us would do. He would go back to the past. We just kind of went back to where we came from. And so we see this in John chapter 21, verses 2 and 3. Simon Peter, probably called the twin, Nathaniel and Mary Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. 
And they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and they got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. But what's interesting about this is that, you know, when Jesus first met Peter, he was thinking, he knew the thinking was, you know, Peter, come and follow me, and I'm going to keep this in the I'm going to give you a different purpose, a bigger purpose than what you, what you have. And so now on the backside of all these promises, and the crucified Christ, and Christ is risen from the dead, and holding to look at him face to face and say, man, there's no way I can go back. There's no way that there's a future here. And so he goes back to where he began. And I believe he's running. He's running from his future and running to his past. In the face of Christ, and everything that is meant by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he just can't grasp the time for him, and he runs away from that, and he runs back to his past. And this is where Jesus can live. But what's really encouraging is that Jesus doesn't leave him there. Going on, it says, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. So now Jesus comes out and turns around, and he's okay, guys, you have to face it. And so he stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him and said, No. And then he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find them. And so they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. You know, what's really powerful about this idea is that when we try to run from our future and embrace our past and grow in our past, God is willing to meet us even then. God will we'll find God right in our past, right where we found Him to begin with. And what's so ironic about this moment is that Peter's trying to run from the Lord ends up finding the Lord right where He was at. And it's like a total days on blue moment. It's going back three years where Peter is fishing, and Jesus is in the boat, and there's nothing all night, and Jesus says, hey, cast your nets on the other side. He's like, Jesus, I've been fishing, I've been doing this a long time, it's my livelihood. We're not going to catch anything. What's the difference between that side of the boat and this side of the boat, Jesus? And Jesus, like, just do it, he's like, don't humor you, Jesus, I'll throw the nets on the other side, and see the net on the other side, and the same thing happens. A haul of fish that was big enough to start sinking the boat. And it's in that moment that Peter realizes who he's dealing with, and he says this really incredible phrase, depart from Jesus, for I'm a sinful man. He gets that he's in front of God Almighty, and he's like, and he gets who he is, and he's like, I'm a sinful person. You know, God, you, you just got to go away from me. I can't be around you. You don't want me. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, you don't think that I want you. And then he says the very powerful words to any Jewish young man at that moment was to hear the words, follow me. And that's what Jesus said. Because those words meant that that, that spiritual leader, and this is God, wanted you to follow him closely, to dwell with him, to live with him, to learn from him, to become like him. And the fact that Jesus would extend this incredible offer to a sinful man blew Peter away when he first met Jesus. And now he's trying to run, going back to his past, and Jesus brings him right back to that moment. And he's essentially saying, Peter, why are you trying to live in the past? I used to follow you. And that's not changed. Incredible fight. And it's the truth for you and I. 
that when we fail, we can look at and we can, I think there's some value in revisiting where, where we were, revisiting our past, but dwelling there, pitching our tent there, living there, saying there's no way going forward. I think that's crazy. I think the one reason we go back to our past is we get to evaluate God, where did I lose you? And that's when Peter began to follow in this moment. That was, his, that was his first step in the journey. The second healthy way for us to process our path that we learned from Peter's life is that we need to allow Jesus to be part of the process. Yeah. For some of us, we're like in full on church and up mode. We fail, and we have to beat ourselves up spiritually enough so we feel bad enough thinking that if I just feel bad enough about this, I never want to do this again. And then that somehow is the kind of sorrow that God is looking for that we can bring to Him and say, God, I'm really, really sorry that I've done this and I, and I, and I really need it this time. And I'm telling you that Jesus is nowhere in that process. The only way a human heart is changed is through the person of Christ. And He wants to meet you right where you are in every and every circumstance. Matter of fact, he demands it. What's incredible about this is that we see in John chapter 21, verse 7, that the disciples whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord. So they're not fishing, and they have this huge haul, and then they look out on the shore and say, Whoa, the guy that just told us to cast down on the other side, but you remember this? You remember what happened, Peter? So this is like, This is Jesus. This is like hope and excitement again. And, and John's like, dude, Peter, this is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he goes on to say, he put on his outer garment for his strength for work, and he threw himself into the sea, and he swam back to shore. He did not wait to haul the boat and the fish back. And so Peter got it. That first step, it's like, hey, this is Jesus. He said to the person that said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. The same Jesus that looked at me as a sinner and said, follow me. It's right there on the shore again. I've seen him two other times since his resurrection, two other times since I regretfully rejected him, denied him, and, and bold faith just threw him aside, and now he's out on the shore. And I remember that moment like it was yesterday that Jesus offered forgiveness to him, and he's going back to shore. He realized for just a moment and it is only through God's presence that their life is going to change. He knew that Jesus had to be a part of that process, and if Jesus in any way, shape, or form cracked the door open for that to happen, he was in. See, a lot of times we are guilty of basing the truth of God on our experience. We assume the way we feel and the experiences we have equal truth. It's a version of reality, but it's not the reality of God. So if you're really going to connect with God, you've got to look at things from His perspective. That's truth. It's truth that calls us into the person of Jesus. And so no matter where you are in your journey, no matter what sea and path of brokenness you're journeying in, God is standing on the floor, waiting to be a part of that process. Will you turn to For Peter, he's going back to school. The third healthy way to process our past is to face your pain. To face your pain. 
We see this in Peter's life in verses 9 and following. And when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. And then none of them, none of the disciples gave out to argue. They knew it was the Lord. Here's, here's what I want you to see in this. It's this little subtle phrase, they saw a charcoal fire. What's significant about this is that it was around a charcoal fire that Peter denied Jesus three times. So this is like the worst nightmare for any believer, right? It's the worst nightmare for any sinner to come back to God and be reminded of the moment that he failed the most. And what did Jesus say? Come and have breakfast. Are you kidding me? I want you to think of that invitation for a moment. Of all the things that God could say to Peter in this moment. Around a charcoal fire, a very specific type of fire that there was no doubt in Peter's mind. It's like, oh man, I'm right back where I was a week ago. In his mind, the pain and the disappointment, the time where he says, I don't know him, I don't want anything to do with the disciples, and I am done with God altogether. He said that over a charcoal fire, and he said that while Jesus was getting the snot beat out of him by the, the religious leaders and having the beard pulled from his face. And Jesus turned him to deny him and looked right at Peter, and Peter looked right at him, and then reached the cross. This is the last experience he had around that charcoal fire. And here he is with Jesus at a charcoal fire, face to face with him, and Jesus gets a chance to say something when he says, Come to the breakfast. That's nuts. What's interesting here is that invitations to meals in Jewish culture are very similar to invitations to meals today. They're some friendship. To look at somebody that rejected you, hated you, denied you, and said they wanted nothing to do with you, and then you say, hey, come have dinner with me. Come to my house. Sit around the table with me. It's an invitation of grace that you don't deserve. What am I doing out here? You have to face your sin. And this is the part that you know that, that, that we as guilt mongers love. You and Wilder, it's like, man, we think facing our sin is beating ourselves up over that sin. It's not facing your sin. It's always worshiping your sin. Facing your sin is looking at it saying, you're exactly like, this is where I blew it. Jesus, I disappointed you. I, I'm not trying to whitewash this. I'm not making any excuses. I, I'm not even going to say anything in this moment, Jesus. You're exactly right. I'm going to trust it. I do it. A group. Everything that I should have done, I didn't do. I was wrong. So you live in a culture where we have a hard time owning up to sin. We'll call it a mistake. We'll call it a, you know, a lapse in judgment. We will try to clean it up anyway. We will avoid it. Or, or here's the beautiful one. I think this is rampant within Christianity, which really distorts the truth of God. And that's this whole idea of, I'm just going to forget about it, right? Because Jesus forgot about it. 
you know, and they were using biblical Bibles and like, Jesus did this life as far as he did for the West. Well, last time I checked, the East still exists and the West still exists. And an all-knowing God can't forget anything and still be an all-knowing God. So God knows fully on who we are in our rebellion, knows what we're going to do before we do it, and he chooses to offer us forgiveness, which is an incredible truth, without marginalizing or, or just overlooking the seriousness of that consequence and the effect that it has on him and other people. See, forgiveness isn't just saying, you know, you do it, no big deal. It's like, yeah, it's a big deal. I think he's Christ for that. And God is okay with that because he doesn't pay it on the Peter's head. The invitation is, under because of what I've done, then, I want you to experience what I want you to give you, which is coming on the table. I want you to be close to you, Peter. That was the whole point. It's like, yeah, you've done this, but look what I've done so that you and I can be together. And that's the desire does not change, even in the midst of our conflicting desires for him. So you have to face our sin in a healthy way. It happened. Did you hear that? It happened. The Bible can repeat it too. Well, it happened yesterday and maybe two weeks ago and maybe three months ago. Whatever, it still happened. And something else that happened is Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead for your sins. And that was true yesterday, and a week ago, and a month ago. And it will always be true, moving forward, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It happened, and so did the cross, and so did the resurrection. The next healthy way to process our past is to not lose your faith. On your promises. It's so tempting. It's so tempting, isn't it, for you and I to come to Jesus and say, man, yeah, we're getting it so far. So, yeah, Jesus wants to get called my life, and Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and this incredible forgiveness of God. I promise you, I'm not going to do this again. I promise you, I'm not going to sin again in a new way. I promise you, Jesus, I'm all in, I surrender, you can call on me. And you base your faith on that, and I promise you, you base your faith on that, you will be disappointed at some point. The problem with taking your faith on your promises is that when you fail, you think God's failing. Or, wow, you know, where's the Holy Spirit that's supposed to help me not sin? Well, He's in you, but you're resisting Him and squelching Him every step of the way. Because you're too busy doing it in your strength instead of His strength. And that keeps going. And then it cripples us. And we find ourselves. See, Peter had to learn not to base his faith on his promises, right? Because he made some big promises, none of which he kept. Look at John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. How did Peter learn this? Well, when they finished breakfast, there comes, here comes the lecture, right? When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my limbs. Now that sounds really weird 
of this whole thing because, like, most of us live in a green culture. Two things I want to point out. First thing is that Jesus looks at Simon Peter and he says, Simon, son of John. This is Peter's old name. Before Christ looked at him and said, Listen, you're, you're known now as Simon, the son of John. I'm going to be this. You know, you're going to be this stubborn, not trouble. You're going to be this mighty rock, Peter. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you what it means to be a strong person. So, Peter's giving up on that identity in Christ. He's trying to go back and so God meets him right where he is. He's like, okay, you want to go back to where you were before I met you? I'll address you on that level. And I just want to ask you a question, Peter. Where you're sitting today, you want me. And Peter's response was the deepest desire of his heart is, is for you know that I love you. You know that I love you. He didn't say, yes, Lord, I love you. There's a very big difference between that statement and what he said, and you know what I mean. He's like, Lord, I love you. I'm going to death. For you, man, I'm not like these other guys. I love you more than these other guys. I'm here with Jesus. I don't want to go to the death with you. I'm not forsaking you. And then Jesus comes out and he says, Okay, Simon, son John, you've given up on me. Do you really love me more than these disciples? Now, here's the thing. The other friends that were with him, like Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, two other disciples, all sitting in the fire with Jesus and Peter, and this is all going down in front of them. Is as safety and community. He's being called out on his path. It's like, this is the worst thing that you think you've done. Let me, let me bring you all the way back to the past. I'm just trying to walk your shadow for a second. And he's just asking the truth for some question. He wants to be the survivor of your heart. I want you to love him. He's facing his faith. Are his response to the gospel. And that's the love of the Jesus, I just, I love you. You love me, I love you. And you know that I love you. And you know I can put them in it. The other thing that you see here is that what we missed in the original language, which is really, really powerful, is that we have one word for love, and we have to try to figure out the meaning. In the Greek language, there's several words for love. Jesus looks at Simon son of John and says, Do you love me? Do you love me like fully committed, fully all in, sacrificial God's kind of love? Do you love me a Godhead kind of love? If you understand Greek words, been in church for a while. Do you love me with a hundred percent love? And then Peter turns around and says, Yes, well, you know that I love you. Very different love here. This love is flailing. It's like brotherly love. It's what humans are mostly capable of. Like, you just, you know that I kind of love you like any other human would love each other, but it's imperfect. So I kind of love you with this 50% kind of love. You see what he's saying? He's like, God, you're perfect. Your love is perfect. I don't have that perfect love. You possess that. I have this kind of love for you, and you know that it's called to your prayer. So he's basically saying, Simon, son of God, you love me more than these. And Jesus, and Peter's like, Jesus, you know that I said to you that I don't know you. 
but I do listen. So he's facing his sin, he's holding up to it, and he's processing it in a very healthy way. He's facing his faith on what God has done for him. And he goes on, he says to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? God's going to love adopting me. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And 50% of time love. And he said to him, take my seat. And then he said to him a third time, do you, now Jesus changes it up, do you love me with a 50% camera? This is the test, isn't it? What is Peter basing his faith on? His ability to commit? Or something else. Peter was grieved because he said to him, because man, do you love me? And then he said to him, Lord, you know everything. All that I've done is all I've ever You know that I love you. Feel that 50% kind of love. God, you know everything, and you know to the extent that I love you. And Jesus said to him, He loves you. See, you can face our faith and our ability to promise, or we can base our faith on the person of Jesus and his awesome truth. Of all the things that Jesus could have said to Peter over chapter 5, he wanted to be in Peter's head, no matter how many times he failed you, no matter how many dark places you find, the question is always this Do you love me? I love you. I'm standing in front of you. I'm offering you to come and meet with me. This invitation to be close to you. I'm offering you your friendship because what I've done on the cross outweighs what you've done in your past. I'm offering you this grace. Do you love me? Will you receive that love? Will you love me in return to the best of your ability? Even though that you're going to deny me at times, even though you're going to say I want nothing to do with your people, and even though at times you're going to reject me with person, you're going to say I have nothing to do with Jesus, I don't want you at all. But deep down in your heart is the greatest desire of your heart to love you because it's so the Spirit of God lives within you. And that's your hope. The work that I do in you is the basis for your faith. It is something that God offers us like this. Another healthy way to do with our class is to allow it to make us humble and compassionate people. Man, what a transformation in Peter's life. Where do we see this? Remember those three times that Jesus said, Hey, do you love me? And then he ended with this really crazy phrase, Feed my lambs, turn my sheep, feed my sheep. Well, when Jesus says, Feed my lambs, he's talking about caring for the most vulnerable, caring for the young, caring for the young in that house. He's like, Peter, here's what I want you to do. You've experienced all these things. You're processing your past in a healthy way. You're realizing that your faith is not based on my work in you and for you. You're resting on that. And I want you now to take the lesson of learning to love me and believing that I love you. And I want you to care for other people that they can love. Now, this is the way that we can take our past and make it something positive. And sometimes we think we have to tell our whole complete story of failure. That's not true. 
There can be some power in you telling your story of failure. You can help certain people that have been an experience that not many people have, but the truth is you will help the story of to anyone within God's house to care for them with the compassion of Christ. And I would encourage you as a pastor, you're not going to probably want to hear this, but I'm telling you, I would not, if I were you, trust anybody in God's family with your darkest secrets. Because not everybody is spiritually mature enough to live on him. You'd be selected. And I think that's okay. But I tell you, somewhere in your life, you are telling somebody that's been who you are, and if you have processed your past in a healthy way and found freedom by faith in Jesus Christ, that you will have something to offer them, and you can open up wide open with them and say that experience, and you can care for them in a way that no one else can care for them. Otherwise, it's generally speaking. You realize that everybody has a past. So when they buck up against you and they're rude to you and they were persecute you. In this case, you know, Peter's, uh, you know, life was persecuted. He, he ended up being crucified upside down. He was able to kill and not lose his faith. He goes on and talks about to tend their feet. And that's to protect, that's to, to get in the middle of that flock, man. And he just walked out for a while that people believe. And you just don't let them believe false things about themselves, about God, about truth and life. You, you, you encourage them in the lessons of faith without elevating your excuse. Because see, it's not about you. It's about him. This is the work God does for This is why we can trust his forgiveness. This is why we can heal from our past and it doesn't have to be a dark place anymore. It can be a light. I've learned how to be humble. That God loves me no matter where I am. And God changes me. And that what happened in the past happened in the past and transformation is in my life because I love God in return because he first loved me. And I'm able to help you live that process in your experience. And you protect people, and then you step up or lead them. Feed my feet, whatever it is. Lead people in maturity. You know what's powerful about that? Is that your past doesn't eliminate you from the work of God in this life. Your past can teach you lessons about life in Jesus and truth about Jesus, and that truth in Jesus is something you can give away. And you don't even have to associate your testimony of your past with it. You just tell them the truth of the Word of God and your power there because it's an experience that you have lived. See, when Peter opened his mouth, and every message that we have recorded from here on out, you did not hear about Peter and his bold commitment for Jesus. You heard a guy that was compassionate and fired up and humble and said, I killed God, you killed God, and God loves us in return, and he offers us grace. And 3,000 people came in our world with the first message that this preacher had It was all about Jesus. And in order for it to be all about Jesus, humility has to be alive. Faithfulness is the result of trusting Jesus. Peter didn't need to make any more bold promises about doubting and, and being obedient to Christ all the way to the end. You see, actually, God came around and saying, Peter, you will be faithful. You will give the ultimate fight because of what you've learned now. You have a bright future. 
He turns around in John chapter 21, verse 18. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you want to. Listen, Peter, you were living off a stuff um, lives, and you were living for yourself, and you were making all these crazy promises to me. But when you were old, when you mature, you would stretch out your hand, and nobody will dress you and carry you. And you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. We know from church history that Peter was to be crucified. And Peter insisted that he would not be crucified in the same way that Jesus was crucified because he says, I love Jesus. Not only did he crucify me upside down, but so Peter was crucified upside down at his own request. What led to his complete, bold, transforming love that impacts lives today? He followed Jesus. He trusted Jesus to be a leader in his life. Not his ability to keep the promises, but in God's ability to transform his character. Bottom line, stop trying to forgive yourself. You see, when you're trying to forgive yourself, the story is entirely way too much about you, right? Think about that. This is what I've done, Jesus. And he kind of was saying that to Savior that has scars in his hands and feet. God, look what I've done. Look what I've done to tell you grace. Look what I've done to fail you. Look what I've done to disappoint you. Look what I've done to 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 disgrace you, to to shame you, to cause you not to want to love me. As if we had some kind of power over the grace of God. It's a lie that we believe. It's a subtle deception that the Lord gives us through guilt and condemnation, and we buy it. But somehow we have to take responsibility so much so that it. This place, God. We take responsibility and say, yes, I've done this to God. You have done this. And because of you, I forgive him. And when we really believe that we're forgiven, the need to forgive ourselves go away because it's no longer about us. To the fact that God has died for you, to restore you, because He loves you, and He will never, ever, ever regret it. 